want to take time this morning to thank Lynn Jenkins. Where's Lynn? There he is, hiding back there. The last second I called him up when I found out that a good friend of mine died back in Omaha, and I asked Lynn, I really felt guilty to have him come and to preach last Sabbath when his wife was in the hospital, uh, but he was gracious enough to come. I'm still hearing comments about your sermon. When I've got an elder that says he was almost willing to reach in and pull out his billfold and pay money, it must have been a good, must have been a good sermon. I conducted this funeral this last week. The man that died, I, I knew he and his wife and the kids for over 30 years. When I was baptized, he and his wife were my mentors in the church. They took me under their wing and they guided me through a lot of mistakes. They had to do a lot of praying, but they really helped me in my relationship with the Lord. And so when the family asked if I would be willing to go back to Omaha to conduct the funeral, and I was so, by the grace of God, allowed Lynn to be able to do this and the other responsibilities I had to do, the seven-degree weather when I landed there, seven degrees, that was the high in Omaha that day when I landed. It didn't, uh, the wind chill factor was about 10 below zero. Um, it didn't uh, stop me because I knew I needed to be there and to be with the family. I knew all the kids when they were young, now they're grown and have children of their own. The Lord really blessed. But when I arrived in Omaha... I heard about the judge. The judge is going to be at the funeral. We went from the airport directly to the funeral home that evening. The family and friends were going to meet together. And as I was there visiting with the family, someone says, Here comes the judge. Big, tall guy who is one of the judges in the Omaha judicial system. Very prominent man. Very powerful man. His brother-in-law is a good friend of mine. His brother-in-law told me afterwards, says, now the judge, that's all I knew him as. I don't know if he's got a name or not. But the judge is going to be at the funeral. And he says, I want you to share something, if you would. He says, the judge made a comment to him that he was afraid to die. You know what's ironic? Before I left, when as I was planning the funeral and everything else, the very first statement I had written down as the funeral sermon is there are some people who are afraid to die. Isn't that amazing how God knows everything beforehand? And here's this powerful man who, who has criminals stand before him and he has the power of the laws of the state of Nebraska 
And he's able to cast judgment on people and, and incarcerate them in prison and, and do all these things. And here is this big, t- tall, towering, strong individual that's very powerful, that is uh, very influential, and he's afraid to die. He has a fear. The thing of it is, there's a lot of people who are afraid to die. From every walk of life. Uneducated and educated alike, they're fearful of death. There are Christians who are afraid to die. There are Seventh-day Adventists who are afraid to die. There was my friend, Bob, whose funeral I was conducting, that seven years earlier, almost eight years earlier, was afraid to die. His wife called me. This is when I was pastoring in Lincoln. And his wife called me and said, would you, would you come over? There's something wrong with Bob. He is really depressed. I can't snap him out of it. You need to come and talk to him. And isn't it strange that sometimes the ones that mentor you, they need mentoring themselves. And I went over to see Bob. I sat down in his office and he says, you know, he says, there's something that's really bothering me. He said, I went to go see the doctor and the doctor said, I needed surgery on my heart and if I didn't have this surgery that within a year I would die. And then the doctor added, but we can't allow you to go through the surgery because you're too weak to have the surgery and you'll probably die in the midst of surgery. You see, Bob, when he was three years of age, uh, he was 85 when he died, when he was three years old, Bob... um, Bob had polio, was in an iron lung. Remember the days of the old iron lungs? Was in the iron lung at age three and was there for most up through his teen years. It crippled his legs. They didn't think he was going to live. Uh, it affected his lungs. Um, Bob was so crippled that he had a very prominent um uh, way of walking that just you knew it bothered him every step that he took. Matter of a few days be, or a few months before that time that uh, I came over when he was depressed, he had prostate cancer and in the midst of all the chemotherapy and the radiation treatments for his prostate cancer, it reactivated his polio and affected his lungs again and his other leg to where he could hardly walk. And it affected his body, and that's why he couldn't have the lungs. He couldn't, he couldn't go through the surgery because he just wouldn't make it. And so now he's facing death. And he said, I don't want to die. I don't want to, to leave my family alone. I can't, I can't fathom the thought of not being around, very close family, of being around my family. No matter what I said to him, no matter how much we talked about the resurrection and we talked about life itself, it just didn't seem to penetrate into the, the darkness of, of the, and the gloominess of, of this depression that was over him. And I finally said, you know, Lord, well, I don't know what I'm going to say. There isn't anything that seems to be reaching. And then the Lord kind of spoke to me and says, why don't you ask him about an anointing service? 
Okay. So I ask him, according to James 5, Bob, would you be willing to have an anointing service? He said, I need to think about that. So he gave him a few days, and then he called me up, and he said, would you be willing to conduct the anointing service and to come over, and I'll get one of the elders from the Omaha church, and we'll do it right here in my home because he couldn't get out of the home. We'll do it right here in the home. And um, my family, do you mind my family being around? There were some of them, some of their kids that had dropped out of the church. And I came and we anointed him. I wished I could say there was instant healing. wished I could say that he no longer had this crippled walk, that, that God healed his leg like the cripple in the, in the Bible stories, you know. I wished I could say that he could get up and, and run around and jump around like a deer. He couldn't do that. I wished I could say there was instantaneous healing within his body, although his, uh, they, they did say that his, his uh, little capillaries in his heart and everything did kind of semi-bypass the blockages within his heart, just enough to keep him going alive, but not he still had the blockages and he still had the weakness and things Still couldn't face the surgery, but it did give him time, seven years. I wished I could say that he had just a new life and was vibrant and everything else, but I didn't. I couldn't say that. But a couple of years later, when I went over to visit him, I saw healing. The healing I saw was when Bob says, you know, I'm not afraid to die. There was a spiritual healing. That took place. I shared this at the funeral. There's a Bible text that gives us a summary of how Bob lived his last few years, even though his body got worse and his organs gave out and and um, his kidneys and liver stopped functioning and and he was failing. If you take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter one, Philippians chapter one and verse twenty one. Philippians 1 and verse 21. Very short, very familiar. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's what I opened up with at the funeral where the judge was sitting there. This was a text that the Lord had put on my mind before I left. When the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, the circumstances of his life weren't exactly ideal. Paul was in prison, under house arrest in Rome, chained to a Roman soldier who was his guard. He was hindered in his movement. He had to rely on others for his own personal care. Paul was a prisoner, and yet, if you read the letter to the Philippians, it, you'll notice that there is a lot of triumph and joy and rejoicing. Now, how could a man be filled with so much joy and rejoicing when he's a prisoner and everything's going wrong? And he's under captivity and he's chained to a guard and he's restricted in his movements. 
How could anyone who has polio and his lungs are not strong enough to go through surgery, his heart is bad, his organs are are shutting down, how can a man go through all of that and still go with rejoicing? But they told me that even though they put Bob in the nursing home, that he would rejoice with the nurses that took care of him and had a positive attitude. That doesn't sound normal, does it? To be a good Christian means that our experience is the outworking of the life and the mind of Christ in our lives, no matter what our circumstances might be, no matter how terrible it might be going around us. That's why Paul says, for me to live is Christ. That's his whole life is to live and to be positive about Jesus to everyone that is around him. No matter how terrible the circumstances might be, he's going to rejoice in Jesus Christ. He's going to find great joy in Christ because he knew that Christ was with him. And Bob was the same way. Just think about those who do not believe in God for a moment. Just think, this life, is the best there is. It doesn't get any better without Christ. For the non-Christian, it's only natural to strive then for the values of the world. Money, popularity, power, prestige. By the way, that's what the judge had. Money, popularity, power, prestige. We feel that all these things bring great happiness, but it doesn't relieve the fears that we have. No matter how much money or power or prestige that the judge had, he's still afraid to die. All the money, power, and friendship in the world cannot extend life one second longer. Nor can it bring great happiness. We think that it might, and it might for a moment, but it's very short-lived. But to a Christian, things are different. I can be poor and yet realize that I'm rich in Jesus Christ. I can be sick but I can be healed spiritually in Jesus Christ and still have peace of mind during my sickness. I can face great hardships that fall upon me and sometimes I wonder, where is their relief? And yet I can share the joy of Jesus Christ to others at the exact same time. Because the life of a Christian is different. But what about death? For a Christian to die, Paul says, is gain. What do we gain at death? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 51 through 54. First Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 51. Paul is saying, Behold, I tell you a mystery. 
we shall not all sleep. And when the Bible talks about sleep, it's talking about what? Death. But we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to the pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. To die to a Christian is to gain a new body, a glorified, immortal, resurrected body, one that could never grow old, no diseases, suffering, or handicaps to hinder us forever. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. For the non-Christian, there's no hope of any resurrection. There's nothing. Death is the end. But to this Christian, to the Christian, it is to gain. Gain a new body, but not only to die is to gain a new body, but it is to gain eternal life with friends and family. Because it says that we shall be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. What a great rejoicing that will be to have friends and families to live with them and to live with Christ forever. John chapter 14. The Gospel of John chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. To die is to gain a more perfect home prepared for us by Jesus Christ. That outshines any home that we could ever think of having created here on this earth. It will look spectacular. It will be spectacular. It will be beyond anything that we have ever seen or even dreamed of. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, 
Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. To die is to gain a new life without the ravages of sin. I ended my funeral sermon with this thought. If for me to live is only to gain money here on this earth, then when I die, it's all a loss because I can't take it with me. If for me to live is to focus only on myself and what I want, then when I die, there's nothing left. It's just death is gone, never exists again. That doesn't sound exciting to me. If for me to live in sin is my only ambition in life, then to die it is totally lost. There's nothing left. But if for me to live is Christ, then what we found out in these Scriptures, then to die is to gain everything. There was a revival that started in a funeral in Omaha. People came up to me and said, I'm leaving here with the greatest hope that I have ever experienced in my life. A friend of mine who's the brother-in-law of the judge came up to me and said, thank you for reprinting your whole sermon and making it ready for the judge. And I said, oh, no, I didn't do that. God had already had this all planned out before I left California. He said, I talked to my brother-in-law. And my brother-in-law said, that pastor gave me some words of hope and encouragement that I'm going to think and pray about and rechange the focus of my mind. Brothers and sisters, there is great glory in all that we have and we do in Jesus Christ. I don't care what the devil dishes out. He can dish out all he wants. But when I am a Christian in Christ, I have everything. And he can't take it away from me. That also means that I have a true message to share with others because there are people that we come in contact with that are afraid to die. 
and I need to share them that there is victory in death. Victory in Jesus. He died that I might have life and have it more abundantly. That is great glory, don't you think? I want you to think about it as you turn in your hymnals to hymn number 435 and let's sing together the glory song about when all my trials and are over and I'm on that other shore 435 Shall we stand together?
thank you for the hope in Jesus Christ, not only for, for us, your children, but for the rest of the world. May we share that hope with them to remove the fears of death from their minds and to give to them that gift that is more abundantly ready than at any other time, that gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.